I'm going to pray. Father, we thank you for your word and uh, just pray that you'd speak to us uh, in the power of your word this morning and um, that we would be uh, convicted of sin, righteousness and judgment for our good and uh, that you would bless us through your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, we're continuing uh, reading in Romans chapter 2. I've got that up. I'll probably start at the start of the chapter, verse 1, and go through to verse 11, uh, even though I'm only uh, looking at the second half. Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. For those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, Jew first and also Greek. But glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. Right. It's a fairly heavy part of the Bible, yeah? Um, a couple of weeks ago when uh, we were talking about this, we, we talked about the fact that you can't judge another person on the basis of their sin because if you do that, you condemn yourself because you do the same things. Now, you might not do exactly the same things, but we all sin. And we do pretend, tend to pick on those who do the same sins that we do. So uh, we, we, we generally do that. And, and when you do that, you downplay grace. We're saved by grace. We're saved by God's gift. But as soon as I look at Les and I say, look at what Les has done, which is, of course, secretly what I'm doing, then what I'm doing is saying, Les shouldn't be saved by God's kindness, even though I was saved by God's kindness. So maybe I wasn't saved by God's kindness. So we actually condemn ourselves because we we say the cross is really worthless and grace is worthless. Do you get that? When When you judge a person on the basis of their sin, you condemn yourself naturally because we're all sinners. What we're saying is that righteousness is not a gift, where it is a gift, isn't it? We are made righteous by God's gift. We don't make our salvation and we don't add to our salvation. You get that? We fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the author of our faith. He's the one who made it in the first place and he's the one who perfects it. So it's all him. But if we judge others... Yeah, we play down the grace of God. And Paul says you're actually hardened of heart and, to say it nicely, you're in trouble. 
Uh, that's when you talk about wrath and fury and tribulation and distress. Uh, not in a good place when you don't put your trust in the grace and mercy of God. Because if you put your trust in how good you are, you're in big trouble. Because you're not that good. So, God is not, if you, if you have that picture of God, the, the, I think what we tend to do is we, we create a God in our own image and then that God hates the people we hate and he loves the people we love. Do you understand what I'm saying? Uh, like, I mean, I, I really have a problem with this certain group of people. So, God, so my, I make sure my doctrine says God hates those people and they're all going to hell. But these people are, well, those nice family ones that I like, you know, well, they're all going to heaven. And what we're creating is a God in our own image. Uh, that's how you can tell if God loves, if, if your idea of God is he loves the people you love and he hates the people you hate, well, then that's actually not God at all. That's your own God. That's actually yourself. You're, you're making yourself God. And, and so you, you play him down into who in, you don't tr- treat him as he truly is. He is the God of grace who shows grace to sinners. And we should be able to say with Paul, of whom I'm the worst. I'm the worst of sinners because we see our own sin so much more. But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Impenitent. I don't know if you know what that word is, but it's used well in the Indiana Jones movie. I don't know if you know one. Do you know, anybody watch Indiana Jones movies? Yeah, they're good Christian movies. And um, in one of them, you know, he's going through this tunnel and, you know, there's arrows and spears and big balls rolling over him and stuff like that. And, and then they read the code and it says, the impenitent will lose their head or something. And, uh, and then this big blade comes out. And, of course, impenitent means you had to get on your knees and then it went over your head. But, of course, the bad guys don't. They lose their head or something like that. And impenitent means willing to bow, to, to lower yourself and accept that the righteousness you have comes as a gift from God. It doesn't come from yourself. Whereas if you stand tall before God and, says, look at, and say, look at me... Well, your judgment will be earned, really, because you're not that good. God's judgment is righteous and it will be revealed. Now, we struggle with judgment day and we struggle with the thought, and and often it comes out like this, people will say, I just, I, I like judgment day, but I'm really worried about my family. I don't want family members to be going to hell. And, and, and in one sense, that is something that we really only struggle with in this present age because when we uh, get to heaven, we will be comfortable with God's judgment. We will agree with him. Um, we will have the mind of Christ. But we also know that God delights in the death of no man. So he, he's not happy. He, he doesn't have great joy uh, judging people. But, um, and so we will, we, will, we will have that same mind. But we will agree, God judges accordingly. He judges right. Yep. Right. Those who refuse to 
allow for God's kindness, who refuse to accept that his grace comes to us, who refuse to accept that righteousness is a gift, will also refuse to repent and therefore they will end up under the right judgment of God. God will judge them rightly. You, you, you have not honoured me. You see, um, it, it's easy for Christians and, uh, well, same with non-Christians, to say, look at how good I am. Look at how good I've made myself. Look at how holy I am. Especially, I mean, uh, you, look at my good acts. Everybody should uh, be like me. We, 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 okay, we, we don't necessarily say that, but we do, we do live it in our minds. We look down on other people, which is really what this passage is about, and we'll talk about more as it goes on. A Christian is someone, at the end of the day, who says this, In the beginning, I had nothing to offer God except my failure, my sin, my rebellion, and my brokenness, and he saved me. But now, as a Christian, I keep on fight failing and sinning and rebelling and brokening. Uh, that's all. I, that's my life, and I still—it's still Him who saves me. In other words, we're people who always live by grace. And when you live by grace like that, and you say it is only His goodness that saves me, it's all Him. Then, when we see another sinner, we have compassion and grace on them, don't we? Everything good comes through Jesus alone. Now, in verse 6, he says something which might seem contrary to a lot of what Paul says. Uh, He says, he will render to each according to his works. Um, And he goes on to say, those by patience in well-doing seek glory and uh, blah, blah, blah. But he will render each according to his good works. Now, that's actually a, a... Thing that's right through Old and New Testament. God will give according to their works. Jesus said this in Matthew 16, 27. The Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. Now, is that salvation by works then? You know what I'm saying? Is that saying you better be a really good person and then you'll be saved? Because that would put some of us in trouble. But I'll go on a bit deeper. In 2 Corinthians 5, St. Paul says, So whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him, that's to please God, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in his body, whether good or evil. So we make it our aim to please God and we know that God delights in all those who are in Christ. But... Paul, you know, Paul also will say, no one is saved by works, only by grace. So how does this work? This is actually a really important point, so I'm going to go into it a bit, if that's okay. Because we, we know we're only saved by God's kindness, and we're not saved by our good works. But Paul also says, he will give to each one according to his good works. Okay? How, how does that work? It, it's this, we don't actually work to make God accept us. But we love him to be pleased with what we do. Don't we? we love to please God. Now, but later in Romans, I'll, I'll, sorry, I'm a bit, my mind's, what is it, Swiss cheese? It's got, it's got holes in it this morning. 
But in, in Romans 9.11, he's talking about God's purpose of election, that's God's purpose of choosing, not because of works, but because of him who calls. In other words, it's not about your works, it's because God calls you that you're saved. So how, how does it work? Good works don't save a person. But however, a true Christian will always have good works. And they can be seen as a Christian by their good works. Okay? Good works, I'll say it again, doesn't make a Christian. So I know we've said before, people have this idea that one, two, three. One is to be a Christian, trust Jesus. Two, do good works and therefore three, you'll be saved, which is wrong. It's one, trust in Jesus. Two, therefore you'll be saved. Three, therefore you'll go on to do good works. Do you understand that? It's really important. Good works are crucial for a Christian. They're really, really important, but they don't save a person. But a Christian will naturally produce good works, good fruit. If it doesn't happen, there hasn't. I mean, how could you be born again and made into a new person and you don't change? That would be silly, wouldn't it? Here I am, a completely new person, just like I used to be. Christians will always produce fruit, like an apple tree produces apples. But actually when it's a small apple tree, first few years it might get one or two, then it gets a bit bigger, and uh, then it produces lots of apples, then one day it's a big tree. But actually if it's just left in the wild and never touched, an apple tree doesn't produce much fruit. They go a bit gnarly and they get diseases. And what, what, What's the difference? Well, firstly, there's a farmer, isn't there, who waters, fertilises, and prunes, and then that apple tree produces more and more fruit. That, that garden is God, isn't it? That's what we hear in John 15. He, he's the vine dresser, he prunes and he cuts, and, and he, he, he actually makes the uh, tree produce fruit. Now, so it's God who does this work in us, but, but the tree will produce fruit. Okay, and, and um, the, if, you, if you picture a cow trop, uh, what, do, what do you call them? Goat heads, goat head weed. Goat head weed's never going to produce apples, is it? All it produces is bad fruit that gets stuck in your foot and it hurts. Right? So you, you can't, the, like the cow trop can't go, I really want to make an apple and push and push and push and make an apple. It's got to be converted first, right? We've got to be converted by God into fruit-bearing trees. Before that, all we made is thorns. And then we do produce fruit, and God delights in the fruit that we produce. And we delight in delighting God with the fruit we produce. Does that make sense? But that's not to save us, and it's not to make his acceptance. And, and now these good works, I know often when we talk about good works, you, think, you, you can think about, well, obviously it's serving the church, definitely putting big offerings in. I mean, that's really important, isn't it? Um, it's about uh, maybe going on a mission trip and things like that. But the fruit that God talks about, at, at first, what's the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love and joy and peace and patience. And it's talking about your character, isn't it? God's shaping your character. Naturally, as your character is shaped, good works will flow out of that, won't they? 
And if your character's not shaped, if you don't have love at your heart, any works you do are, are actually always going to be just a little bit angry. You're going to be cranky with people, running people down and so on, aren't you? In your heart. But when you've been changed by love, when you've been converted by the Holy Spirit, he starts to work out fruit in you, which, which results in action, and you become a person who produces good fruit. So... Good works are really important. Just because we're not saved by good works doesn't mean good works isn't important. Okay. I still want to give one more example because it is, it's, it is really important. So a, a farmer, uh, we'll say Rob, has a son, Dave Fraser. It's hypothetical, of course. Um, and, 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 and Fraser may well inherit the farm. But that's probably what's going to happen. I don't know for sure. Depends how they work things out. But sometimes sons work for farmers endlessly to try and please their father and try and earn the inheritance which they're already going to be given. And they end up despising the work and they hope to hear one day this word. And there's many, many young men hope to hear this word from their father I'm proud of you. Yeah, do you know that? They, they long to hear that word. Even though they're going to inherit the farm regardless. But that's not how it is with God. You see, God says, I delight in you. I am well pleased with you. When does he say that? Well, actually, when you become a Christian. It's a bit like Jesus. When did he hear the words, this is my dear son in whom I delight? At his baptism, before he'd done any of his ministry. He hadn't done anything. (laughs) And God already said, here's my dear son. God says to us, you are my dear son. And then you joyfully work side by side with God because he's already accepted you, because he delights in you, because he loves you. Now go back to the father and son who own the farm. You can imagine if that son is never working to impress his dad, but just because he loves working side by side with him and they, and they work, there's no pressure and it's all joy in the relationship. That's how it is with us and God. That's how it is with works. We don't work to earn favour, but because we have God's favour, we work. Does that make sense? It, it's, it's important. To those who by patience in well-doing seek for glory and honour and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. Now, when it's saying they seek glory and honour, that's not for themselves, obviously, because it says in a while uh, those who are self-seeking. So we seek the glory and honour of God, don't we? We attribute all glory to God. Did you, you know that the greatest way that you can praise God is by living by grace? You think about it. If we say, God, everything I have comes from you. It's all a gift. I'm saved all because of what you've done for me. I'm saved all because of the cross. It's all your work. What are we doing? We're glorifying God in the highest, aren't we? Saying, it's all you. But when we say, and have a look at what I did, isn't it good? It's all me. It's, uh, what's the word? Self-seeking. And not obeying the truth, because the truth is, he calls us to faith, which is trusting in what he's done. 
and repentance, which is turning from what we've done and turning from ourselves. Do you understand? So we actually live trusting in God and giving all glory to him as we live by grace. Live by grace. It's a, it's a, and then, you know, when you live by grace, life is actually joyful. You can, have, you can have fun. You can enjoy it because you're not all the time thinking, oh, what did I just say? What does God think of me now? Maybe I've, he, might, he might just leave me if I just step over that line. But that's not how it is. He said at the start, I delight in you. So you can live in the freedom because you attribute everything to God. When I say, does that make sense? I mean, does that make sense? Do you get what I'm saying? Because it's really important for us to understand. Okay. So we seek eternal life through faith in Jesus. That's what it is to obey the gospel, isn't it? To, um, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would have eternal life. So how do we seek eternal life? By trusting in Jesus. Yep. Okay. Now, obeying unrighteousness also is not just doing evil. It's not just doing bad stuff. Because uh, Paul says later in Romans 5, he says, you know, sometimes someone might die for a good person, but very rarely would someone die for a uh, righteous person. You think, what's he talking about? Think about it like this. Someone might die for the, the doctor who treats people with cancer because you think that's a very good man. But if it's just some scumbag who trusts in Jesus, just some, you know, well, they're not that bright, you know, or they, they haven't lived a very good life or uh, they've got mental health issues or something like that, but they love Jesus. That's a righteous person. No one's going to die for them because they're not that, well... They're not that esteemed by this world, are they? What I'm saying is this. To live in unrighteousness, the, the unrighteousness is, is talking about not living by faith in Jesus, which is the most important thing. There are lots of good people in this world, good in inverted commas, because they're not actually that good. They just, in a worldly sense, they are good and esteemed by this world. Most importantly is righteousness and that we obey righteousness by trusting in Jesus and seek after righteousness. That's what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Seek that above all else. And then naturally, fruit will be produced by you. That will happen. If you don't, there will be, in verse 9, there will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek, but glory and honour and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. And then he finishes by saying, what is it? For God shows no partiality. Okay. Those who obey the gospel, that is those who repent and trust in Jesus, there is eternal life. Regardless of social standing, regardless of riches, regardless of what career you're in, regardless of your popularity, regardless of your natural talents, your sporting ability or your singing ability or your political ability and regardless of your race. I think I was brought up to be a racist. 
I don't know how many... If you're about my age, you probably were in Australia. We were really racist when we were young, weren't we? Come on, probably most of you still are. I remember at school, in grade 10, my, my English teacher, he wrote a list of nationalities on the blackboards. Irish, Scottish, Chinese, Swedish, Danish. And he, he had a whole list of them. And he said, now get, pull out a bit of paper and a pen and write down which ones you'd marry. And I remember going through the list. Like, I mean, uh, I, I, that's, this is it's not really humorous, but, oh, Chinese, well, you'd be eating rice and that'd be really short. And, uh, cross that off and, you know. Danish, well, blonde hair, blue eyes, that might be all right, you know. Tick that. Irish, they'd be dumb. Scottish, you've got to wear a tip kill. And, and naturally, basically, for, for every nation on earth, we, I had some little throwaway comment to show uh, that, where their problems were. But it wasn't just fun because the reality was I really thought that I was better than all those others. I actually thought I was better than them. Really. Because who could be lift up to our, you know, the heights of being Australian, which is basically pretty close to God anyway, isn't it? If you can understand what I'm saying, do you know the fact that we were born... Well, I don't know how many of you were born in Australia. A lot of you were born in Australia. Well, number one, number one. You had no choice in that, did you? God could have made you born in China or India or anywhere else. Yeah? And the fact that you were born in Australia gives you incredible riches. Just by being born here, we're quite rich. It's just natural. You didn't earn it. But what you see, it naturally in my head, is I was saying looking down on these other people and saying, I'm better than them because I've achieved my Australianness. Yeah, I didn't choose to be born on a farm, which is a great life. What, I'm, what I was really saying is that I earned my status and my place and I'm better than everybody else. It's not by grace. So I judge everybody else on the basis of something. Everything we have is a gift of God. Do you know that? Everything you have. Treat it that way. If you're a farmer, say, thank you, God, for the farm. If, if, you're, if you're tied in a caravan, thank you, God, for the caravan. You've given it to me. Thank you, God, for my house. Thank you, God. And, and in doing that, we're saying everything is received. And then you live with joy. Because if everything's earned, then I've got to, I've got to maintain it by my own strength and, uh, and, the, and the pain that comes. So Paul sums it up with saying this, God shows no partiality. You don't deserve grace. You don't earn grace. Grace is God's pure kindness. I, I just wanted to pull a, a few Bible verses where, where Paul and uh, Peter say God shows no partiality because that's actually in the Bible a real lot. Just the reason it's in the Bible a whole lot is because generally we're racist and uh, we look down on everybody else and, and we're thick. So God's got to keep telling us, right? But in, in Galatians 2.6, he said, he talks about those who seem to be influential, but that makes no difference to me. God chose no partiality. So I say, who seemed influential added nothing to me. Now, now actually, do you know... People who are influential in this community or in our lives, we suck up to them sometimes, don't we? And we treat them as better than us. Is that true? 
We do. We, we kind of... We, we want to be with the influential people. We want to move with the movers and stuff like that. And, and, and Paul's saying, God shows no partiality. He doesn't look on the influential people and say, well, they're a bit better than you. It's a flat playing field with God. And in, in Ephesians 6, 9, he says, Masters, he's talking about masters and slaves, do the same and stop your threatening. Don't threaten your workers or your slaves, knowing that, God is both the master, is, is their master and yours, and there's no partiality with him. So God doesn't look at careers and say, this one is a better. So a pastor is not better than a farmer. It's not closer to God. It's not holier. Do you get that? Do you really believe it? Because they're just, it's, it's not. There's no division there. There's no partiality. And in... in in Colossians 3.25, which is really coming back to what we've been saying in this passage, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality. When it comes to sin, God's, everybody's the same. It, it's, it's all equal. Do you know, there was a time in Acts where Peter had this vision about, it's Acts 10, and go, and, go to this group of, now were they Gentiles or Samaritans? And, and, uh, and tell him about Jesus. And God had to tell him fairly, go to the unclean ones. And he went there and he told him about Jesus and this incredible thing happened. The Holy Spirit came down on the whole gathering. And Peter was shocked. He was, he was really surprised. This is not what I expected to happen. Why? Because the Jews are the favourite and they're the ones who get the Holy Spirit. That's what he thought. And he said this in Acts 10.34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly I understand that God shows no partiality. I get it now. God's actually for all people. No one deserves God's favour. Do you hear that? Otherwise it wouldn't be God's favour. No one deserves God's grace. It's all a gift from God. Everything we have is a gift. Everything. And God doesn't give people what they deserve. If he did, we would all be dead already. Do you understand that? We would be. That's what uh, Psalm 103 says. I do not treat you as your sins deserve. It's a gift. He gives mercy and grace not based on good behaviour. He gives mercy and grace based on his mercy and his grace. He gives love based on his love. So, it's not based on good works, but naturally, good works flows from the Christian. And the good works that are central are the obedience to the gospel, repenting, trusting in Jesus. That's the good works he requires of us. And that will naturally work out in receiving the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit will bring the fruit of the Spirit to us and then we'll live in the good works God calls us to. But it's all about God's kindness. And in God's kindness, he says, all who trust in Jesus are justified. That is, they are right with God and that is a declaration that he makes. In other words, he speaks it and he says it to be true. Now, 
I want to just say this is my final point. If can you hear God's declaration to you? You are righteous. Have you have you trusted in Jesus first? Have you turned from your sin? Have you trusted in Him? Hear God saying, "You are declared righteous." On what basis? On the basis of my Son, what He's done for you. Can you hear that declaration? It's true because he's declared it, not because you feel it. Okay, Not because you think, I really, really want to believe it. It's true because he has declared it. Through faith in Christ, you are justified. Now, can you hear that for other people too? Can you hear that? Because God shows no impartiality. There's no favourites from every nation on earth. Because at the end of the Bible it says, there they are gathered from every tribe and tongue. That means every different, uh, what's it called, language. And, 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 they'll, and they'll be dressed in their own colours and they'll be that from every, and, and it won't be Australians up the front. <laughs> there they'll all be before the throne. God shows grace. It's undeserved favour. And if we don't think others deserve it, we live under his judgment. I'm going to pray. Father, we want to thank you for the grace you've shown us. And uh, we want to glorify you this morning by saying that everything we have is a gift from you and you are everything to us. We have nothing without you. And Father, I pray that you would work in us, that we might delight to do your good works in the power of your spirit and that we might delight in our relationship with you and that it it just might be such a blessing to live uh, working with you in your great work. Father, I pray that you would shape us and change us and Father, I pray that you would tear down uh, those things where we look down on other people for whatever reason that we can just glorify in the fact that all that we have is a gift from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.